You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new centerfire rifle ammunition terminal ascent. Now, the terminal ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The terminal ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet, and it comes in a variety of cartridges, including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06, and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com. And while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. Quick show of hands, how many of you noticed on last week's episode that there was no intro or outro music and no intro and outro at all? If you raised your hand, that's because you did. <laughs> you did see that, uh, or hear that, I should say. I had my first big podcasting mistake last week when I, uh, after I did all my editing, all my big long intro, outro, music, all that good stuff, when I sent off the file... I attached the wrong file, and I just sent off the interview, and it was still a great interview, you know, lots of good information out there, but I completely dropped the ball on the show, and it was very sad because, man, I I did like a good 15-minute long intro. I talked about how my dad and I bonded over jug fishing, which is what last week's episode was about. I told stories. I gave life updates. I talked about boating adventures. I talked about shed hunting. I talked about all this stuff, and you guys heard none of it. <laughs> so that is my bad. Uh, I learned my lesson. I am now going to make different names for the files so that I don't do that. Um, in my defense, you know, last week I admit I waited till the last minute. I was trying to send it off, get it done, and I just flat out dropped the ball. So my bad on that. I hope you guys still enjoyed it. And uh, to make up for it, you guys get to hear it all now. So hopefully you guys like these updates. Hopefully by this time, you know, y'all are kind of learning about me, learning who I am. Uh, you know, again, my whole goal for this is like I want y'all to follow along with my adventures. And I want us to, you know, become quote, friends over the airways. Like, I want you guys to get to know me, and I want to bring you guys along with what I'm doing. So so that's my hope for this show, and I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. So, man, I, I like don't even know what to talk about now because I feel like I I just screwed up so bad that I don't know what, to, what I should talk about and what I shouldn't. So let's see here. Uh, two weeks ago, I went out to the ranch and made a quick little uh, – round looking for sheds. Uh, I didn't find any, but that was, I wouldn't say purposeful, but I didn't do like a hardcore shed hunt because I still felt like I was too early. And so basically all I did was drive around on the ATV, you know, check the the food plots, the feeders, you know, kind of drove some main trails, basically just kind of hoping to get lucky and uh, get a feel if I should, you know, dive deeper or not. 
and I didn't find any sheds, and so that kind of told me I'm probably a little early, like I thought. Um, again, that was two weeks ago. Right now is probably prime shed time, uh, but uh, I won't be going shed hunting this weekend. I'll get to that in a second, uh, but I will be going next weekend, and so Easter weekend, I guess that would be. Um, so I am looking forward to that. By that point, I would say most, if not all, the bucks should drop. That'd be the first weekend in April. Um, usually a lot of the bucks are dropping mid-March uh, and, you know, usually by mid-March and April, they're all gone. And, and I've even got pictures. I think the, I think the earliest velvet picture I've ever gotten was April 2nd. Uh, a, a big buck that I didn't never killed. Um, I never found out what happened to him. Uh, this was a couple of years ago, but I got pictures of him, uh, with his antlers one day. And then probably like two weeks later, same camera, same time of day, uh, a deer walked by with like these Coke can velvet spots on his head. And so I'm pretty sure it was him. He was, man, he was a nice deer. I called him Prospector. He was like one of the first good deer I ever got pictures of on our property. And I chased him for three years, I guess. And uh, I'm... I don't know. He the, either the neighbor killed him or he died of old age because, man, he was a ghost. Uh, oh, man. Anyway, yeah, that's a whole other story. Someday, maybe we're gonna have to do a whole podcast on like deer I didn't get. But anyway, Prospector was one of them. He was growing by April second, and so I feel like most of the bucks should be growing by next weekend. That was a long way of saying that. Let's see what else. Uh, I have now taken my boat out twice. Uh, both times were kind of short trips kind of spur of the moment type things uh the the second trip and most recent trip was i just got off work early uh, on like a monday and so i ran out to the lake for a few hours both times i've taken it out it's been very very windy and so i haven't like i you know i fished because i was there and i was gonna fish but just didn't have a lot of luck you know i'm still kind of learning the boat um i'm still like in i'm still in the break-in period for the boat like i'm supposed to run a whole tank through the engine, kind of, you know, keeping it below like 3,000 RPMs. I still have not even ran an entire tank through it, so I'm still in the break-in period, you know, learning the electronics and all that good stuff. And so, uh, but, and this is kind of the thing I alluded to earlier, this coming weekend, uh, Buddy and I, are we are headed to Lake Texoma, and it should be like prime prime everything uh i've been hearing the crop ear biting i've been hearing the bass are biting stripers are moving shallow and i mean i like we are just ready <laughs> i i don't know what i'm doing i will be honest i don't know what i'm doing i've not done of really a lot of fishing in a lake in general other than jug fishing um which we will not be doing this time but i figure between smallmouth largemouth stripers sand bass and all the other different fish in Texoma, like surely we're going to catch something. That's kind of my hope. And so I've been doing a bunch of research, been watching some YouTube videos and, you know, talking to all these guests that we've been having on. So I feel like I'm prepared. Um, neither of us have much lake experience, but we're going to go out there. We're going to take the boat out and we're going to have a grand old time. So I'm very, very excited for that. The last exciting thing I have before we get into this week's podcast is my wife got to pick up her buck uh, from this past season from the taxidermist this week. Uh, you know, I, I didn't I didn't just say she could get it mounted because it was her first buck. That was part of it, but it was also a very nice buck, and so she was super excited. 
I was very proud of her. Um, you know, I talked about it a few weeks ago, or I guess several weeks ago now. She killed this buck by herself. I wasn't even on the property. I was being selfish. I was hunting a buck I was after on a completely different property. Uh, she went out there, got to the stand by herself, set up by herself. The deer came in. She stayed calm. She made a great shot. She even tracked it down and found it by herself, and uh, she had killed she had killed a doe before, so this was her only her second deer ever, her first buck, and she did a fantastic job. And it was like a nice I I'd given her permission because it was her you know her first buck. I you know management was out the window. Um, that's something I've kind of learned. Like as I'm getting older, I I wouldn't say I personally care less about management, but I'm not as hard on pushing those management goals on others especially if they are more inexperienced. And so, you know, it was my wife's first buck. I, I said, you can shoot anything with horns. Um, the day before, she actually tried to shoot a smaller, younger buck, and her gun misfired. Um, no idea what happened. Uh, I'm guessing it was something with the bullet. Like, it had a uh, it had a puncture wound on the back of the bullet where the prime, or I'm sorry, where the firing pin had hit. And for whatever reason, it just did not fire. And that buck got away, but she went back the next day. Um, I shot the gun a couple times just to make sure it was working and everything went back and this beautiful, I'm guessing he was a four year old buck came in. Uh, she made a great shot again, like all by herself. Um, I just got to score it the other day It ended up taping out at 128. Uh, and again for her first buck, like I, I could not ask for anything better. It was a double throat patch, four year old, nice eight point. And so she got to have that experience of going to pick it up for the first time. And man, it was just awesome. I was so happy for her. Great buck. We're still trying to figure out where to put it. She was all gung ho about putting it in the living room. But now that we have, uh, you know, all my, or not all, but a couple of my bucks up, she's not sure she wants another one in the living room, even though it's hers. So we're still trying to hash that out. It's actually sitting on the floor next to me in my man cave here uh, as we speak. Um, but hopefully this next week we'll get a decision and get it up somewhere. So, all right. Well, man, enough about all that. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Sorry. I had like two weeks of energy built up, uh, in that intro. So, but moving on, it is about to be a very special time of year. Uh, I know we've been talking a lot about fishing lately and, and I have some more fishing episodes I want to do, but turkey season, man, it snuck up on me. It is almost here. And so you guys may remember Clay Forst uh, from a few weeks ago at Stewart Ranch Outfitters. He agreed um, when we did the first interview to come back on this time of year and talk about turkeys with me. And he is back today. This is my first repeat guest. And so thumbs up to Clay and uh, and a big thank you out to him. We talk about turkeys this whole episode um, for those of you who didn't catch the last episode, one, I would encourage you to go check it out, but two, uh, Clay is part of a large family ranch in western Oklahoma. It is the oldest family-owned ranch in Oklahoma, and Clay kind of heads up basically all of the hunting part of this ranch, and so they do deer hunts, duck hunts, uh, hog hunts, and turkey hunts, and so we get into everything turkey. Um, he talks about last season, uh, they basically had to cancel their entire deal because of COVID, you know, COVID was still new and nobody knew what was going on. And so, um, but yeah, he, at the end, he has a great story about getting to take his son on his first turkey hunt and we just talk all things turkey. Like I said, 
For those of you who have been following along since the beginning, you've probably heard me say that turkeys are definitely the weak link in my hunting chain. Um, I just, growing up, I didn't really grow up in a turkey hunting area. There weren't a lot of birds there. There was not that tradition there. Uh, I've killed a few turkeys over the year, and, and I kind of talk about this uh, while I'm talking to Clay, but I just... I've never really had a chance to get into it, but it it is something that has piqued my interest over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we our land is in that southeastern part of Oklahoma where we have the the shorter season. It's later. It's hard to call birds. Most of my turkey hunting, uh, and again, Clay and I talked about this, but most of my turkey hunting is kind of done deer hunting style. You know, like I scout ahead of time. I kind of set up knowing birds are going to be there because I know they're not going to be super receptive. And so again, like once again, being selfish, like part of the reason I have clay on is because I myself want to learn and it's great that you guys get to come along and learn with me. So hopefully clay won't be my only Turkey guest. I want to have some more people on, but, uh, man, this is a great start and there's a lot to learn here. We talk about tactics. We talk about, Preseason stuff, um, in-season stuff, how they set up, and all that good stuff. So I just said stuff a whole lot, so that probably means I need to quit with this intro and get Clay on. So without further ado, here is my interview with Clay Forrest of Stewart Ranch Outfitters about turkey hunting. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, I'm talking to Clay Forrest again. How you doing, Clay? Good. How are you? Guys? How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good, and I guess I should have mentioned you're uh, with Stewart Ranch Outfitters. Uh, we had you on a few weeks ago, and you're going to come back and talk turkeys with us. So, yes, sir. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, we're just a couple weeks out to uh, chasing longbeards. So, yeah, we're excited and, and happy and uh, excited to talk about it. Good, good. How's things on the ranch been going? Uh, good. Busy. I mean, there's a uh, excuse me there's never a dull moment around here we uh oh we got done with waterfowl season and uh we pretty much hit the ground running with uh getting prepped for turkey season and just uh kind of catching up on some odds and ends and uh we did a little control burn last week so uh yeah it's uh it's always something going on around here good good how did that uh freeze treat you guys a few weeks ago um <laughs> I guess just like everybody else in the state, it was uh it was zero fun. Yeah. Uh, we we got through it. We were pretty fortunate. We did lose a few calves, but uh for the most part we uh we kinda skated by better than most, so we were pretty fortunate with that. But uh no, it it was no fun breaking ice twice a day and checking things and just having to be out in it. So uh oh it's just part of part of living on a ranch but uh mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm glad the sun is shining and it's 70 degrees i can tell you that yep my uh my sister-in-law she earned her badge of honor they de- they definitely put a calf in their bathtub in their master bedroom and so she uh she's a true ranch wife now yes sir yeah mm-hmm. it was uh you were seeing stories like that everywhere just everybody was doing everything they could to, to save their livestock and just uh it was just one of those things you got to do what you got to do take care of your animals so mm-hmm. it uh it is what it is so we uh it, it's just part of it mm-hmm. well i'm glad y'all made it through all right i hope everybody else out there did and uh yeah you ready to talk some turkeys yes sir let's have let's do it all right uh i guess real quick before i get into all my questions 
Um, why don't you just give us a very quick rundown of kind of y'all's turkey package? Um, you know, I know we kind of talked about it last time you were on, but just a real quick, you know, if people come to, to hunt with y'all, what can they expect? Yeah, for sure. So our deal is, uh, it's a three day hunt. Uh, it's $900 for one bird. Uh, with the regulation change this season, we, uh, can only offer one bird per person. So it's a one bird, $900, three days, uh, lodging, guide service, transportation on the ranch, cleaning, cold storage. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. All right. Well, now, uh, let's, we're going to detour off of that and just kind of talk some general turkey for everybody. Um, so I want to start with just basically how you guys start, uh, you know, kind of preseason. Um, what are you guys leading up doing leading up to the season? Are y'all, you know, scouting from a truck? Uh, are you just running trail cameras and relying on those? Uh, are y'all out there with binoculars? What's kind of your preseason scouting technique? Oh, honestly, it's kind of all the above. Um, we're, we're very fortunate and blessed. I mean, we, we hunt the same ground you know year in and year out so we've got some oh i would call it historical data on where birds are at typically kind of what their patterns are for the most part i mean do, things do change but we've got a pretty good idea what's going to happen year in and year out just based on historical records if you will of, of just hunting this ranch for the last oh i guess we're going on about 12 years now so um with that, we, we kind of have a pretty good idea regardless what's going into the season. But we do. We get out, and we'll start listening for birds about now and, and see if we can get a pretty good idea where where several roost spots are at on the ranch. And then uh, we run trail cameras. Uh, this year, we're just running our cell cameras, so we're not getting in there and, and you know, boogering up areas or messing up spots or getting, getting turkeys off pattern. So... I've just got a handful of cell cameras out in some of our prime spots, so we've got a pretty good idea, you know, when birds are there, uh, what their travel patterns are, and just kind of get a get a routine with them, if you will. So cell cameras, just historical, oh, I guess data, um, and then we get out prior to season and all the way through season. We're always glassing and looking for birds. Um, this country that we've got here around Warica is it's wide open prairie country. And so you can see birds from a long ways away and, and make plans or, or watch them go to roost or watch them come from roost or kind of see what their midday strut habits are and that sort of thing. So we really use all, all the above to our advantage and in any tactic that we can find to, you know, try to outsmart a, a Rio Grande Turkey. Nice. Nice. All right. Um, so kind of taking the next step, uh, April 4th, I believe, for you guys this year. Uh, I'm in that cursed southeast zone where we have the shorter, later season. Uh, but, uh, I mean, is it the third or the fourth that y'all start this year? Well, youth season is uh, the second, mm. third and fourth, I believe. Second, whatever that weekend is right before. But uh, mm. Oklahoma season always opens up on the 6th, April gotcha. 6th, which is a uh, Tuesday, I think, this year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm not not as familiar with it because I don't get to hunt it very or ever really. So yes, sir. Uh, I always got to wait around and watch everybody else, you know, post their pictures and their success and and twiddle my thumbs till I get to hunt. So understand. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, let's say you're you know going out for your morning hunt. Um, do you normally go out with kind of a preconceived spot in mind? Are you kind of you know you going out to a hilltop and listening for gobbles or maybe trying a few calls? What's normally your kind of first move in the morning? 
Uh, first move for us always is, uh, I guess, a predetermined spot where we either know birds have been or we put birds to bed the night before. So when we've got clients with us, we've got a spot that we're going to go to the next morning um, to hunt a bird, typically off roost. Sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes they pitch down across the other side of the creek or they're just silent all morning or, or what have you. So we'll make a game plan from there. But, um, we always have a, a, I guess a predetermined spot of, of where we're going and what we're doing and logi- logistically with myself and my guys, you know, kicking everybody out or across the range and make sure we're not hunting the same bird or mm-hmm. something to that degree. So, um, yes, we all kind of have our predetermined spots in our areas so we don't cross anybody up. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. With those spots, are y'all normally, like, do y'all have blinds set up or y'all kind of just sitting against trees or hiding in grass? How does that work? Uh, it's really all the above. Uh, typically with most of my clients, we're running and gunning. You know, we, we've got a, a turkey vest on or, you know, a turkey lounger, one of the little seats that they call them. Um, and we're just going to an, a spot. And then we'll we'll find the best area, whatever tree we can lean up against or some brush pile or whatever it is and basically kind of fall into it. Um, and usually my I always pack like a little portable blind with me. I mean, it's not much, just something that if we do get caught in the wide open and that's the only place we can be, we can at least give ourselves a chance. Um, we've got typically we'll put some pop up tents on the ranch just in, in good traffic areas. I do have some some older clients that can't typically run and gun like we we do with some other guys and sometimes we may just go to those spots and just i call it posting up you know basically just turkey hunt them and and call until we hear a gobble and see if we can get one to call in so and and the weather plays a big part on that too if it's raining or if the wind's blowing 15 to 25 mile an hour plus where you just they can't hear you and you can't hear them we may just go to a good area and and post up and see if we can catch a bird traveling through so it 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 really just depends on the day the client the weather um kind of what we're doing Mm -hmm. gotcha sweet sweet all right so kind of the next step let's say you're out there it's early and uh you either hear or see a bird um well, first, how do you react differently if it's, you know, a lone bird versus a group? And it, that could be, you know, two or three toms that are together or maybe a tom that already has some hens. Uh, are you going to treat that situation differently than if you just see a lone tom out there or, or have a lone tom, you know, interested in your calls? Uh, Yes. And, and honestly, sometimes you don't really even know what it's going to be until they either don't respond or they're, you know, they come in like they're supposed to. Um it really depends on how fired up that bird is. I mean, if a tom is with a bunch of hens, most of the time you're trying to tick her off, you know, mm-hmm. that group of hens where she wants to come see who's in her area and investigate what that hen sound is and why it, us being them or us, the call that we're making mm-hmm trying to get her to come in and and usually that tom won't gobble at all but he'll follow or follow the actual real hen in to us um you know if if you know that there's some jakes in the area i call them jake gangs where they're kind of beating up on some of those old lone toms you're not you're not vocal near as much as you are when you have toms in an area without jakes because jakes will come into that call 
pretty much every single time and then, you know, kind of keep that tom off. So you're, you're kind of tight lipped with your calls. But if you get, especially hunting Rios, when you get a bird that's cutting you off every single time you're making a peep, you just, for me, my opinion is you just keep at them, keep them fired up. And, and usually that bird will be in your lap before you even know what happens. So it, again, it just, yeah, it just kind of depends on the situation, kind of knowing your area, knowing your birds. Um, and then sometimes it doesn't matter what you do and you can throw 15 calls at them, different, different mouth calls, diaphragms, uh, slate, glass, box calls. It, it just doesn't matter. Sometimes it's just not your day. So, um, you know, it just kind of have a variety of calls in your pack and, and, uh, if one thing's not working, try something else. And, you know, we always just try to be flexible with what we're doing. So, you know, turkey hunts a chess match. So you yeah. just never know what's going to work that minute. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I think I told you last time we talked and I'll tell the listeners again, like turkey hunting is definitely the weak spot in my hunting repertoire. Like I just, I've done it some, but I, I definitely am not good at it. I don't have a ton of experience. So I, I kind of have a pre question to my next question now after hearing that, um, Let's say you see that group of hens you were talking about versus like the lone tom. Uh, can you go into kind of detail of how you're going to call differently? Is that a is that a clear yeah question? for sure yeah yeah no it is. Um, I try to get I try just me personally and you know there's probably turkey guys out there that are making fun of me right now but if I can get a hen to vocalize back to me. I'm going to mimic her vocals and I'm also going to try to basically cut her off. So if mm. she's, if she's chirping back at me, I'm going to try to try to chirp a little louder and also cut her off. So mm. usually that makes them mad and, and that will bring them in to investigate who is basically cutting them off and, flexing their muscles around and, and so usually that'll bring that hen in and if there's a tom with a group of hens he'll follow follow them or her mm-hmm. right to you so you're not really decoying that tom gotcha. at that point you're you're really trying to hack a hen off to get her to come investigate while bringing her boyfriend with her basically gotcha so you're trying to sound like a hen but you're not necessarily acting like a hen trying to track that tom you're really trying to attract the other hens which will then bring the tom Right. All our calls are, are hen or female calls. I mean, we do, I call, I carry a gobble tube with me and usually that's kind of my last, last resort call just to, uh, sometimes a, a Tom will come and basically investigate another gobble to see if it's a, you know, especially if it's a dominant Tom, like who's in his area kind of thing. But 98% of the time we're, we're making a hen type call. And so, yes, to answer your point, I'm calling to her at that point trying to get her in to bring the the tom with her basically gotcha gotcha all right all right so now the real question uh, can you you know let's say you you've either heard a tom uh, you know a gobble or you see one out in the field can you kind of just walk us through your calling sequence you know what you're trying to do to bring that bird in closer sure um boy that's loaded <laughs> yeah i know i know that's a tough one that's a tough one uh, Here, I'll, right. I'll see, I'll yeah, see if let's... I can split it up better. All right. So let's say, let's say it's early season and, you know, the birds haven't been called at as much. Is that going to affect it? You know, would you think you're going to call more in that, uh, in that, uh, now losing uh, my train of thought, it, that situation? 
Sure. No, it it really, and I'm going to say this probably quite a bit in this in this conversation. It mm-hmm. really just depends. So, mm-hmm. e- like early season, even if it's a bird that hadn't been called out a lot, and I'm just speaking for us, we're we're just so we're blessed to have a lot of ground, and so mm-hmm. most of our birds don't get a whole lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, how much or how little you call? I guess let me answer it this way: How much or how little you call to a gobbling tom? really dictates on how vocal he is i mean Mm -hmm. if he is gobbling at you i mean if you're just squeaking your shoe tops and he's gobbling at it that bird's fired up i mean there's not you basically you're checkmating him at that point i mean you can get loud and vocal and and get hot and heavy with it and he's just going to keep gobbling keep cutting you off and he's going to cover a lot of ground and he's going to be in your lap probably quicker than you when then you would like him to be mm-hmm. you know that bird that may gobble and he's four or five hundred yards off and you've got to you've got to make some ground up to to cut him off you may not be as vocal with him um just depending on how vocal he is back to you um in the weather plays a lot of that too you know if it's a bright sunny perfect day not much wind you're going to get a little more vocal probably just mm-hmm. because they seem to be more vocal they're they're fired up the weather's nice if it's rainy and wet and nasty and dreary outside i mean you might call every 20 or 30 minutes and just you know throw it out there just to see if you can get something to respond and, and come check you out kind of deal so every every bird is different every bird reacts different and honestly you don't know what you typically are going to do until they start playing that that mm-hmm. chess game with you. So I know that's a real broad, <laughs> like all yeah. broad spectrum, you know, answer. But I don't know how to answer it other than that way. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean I, I I agree. It's a it's a loaded question, like you said, because there's millions of turkeys out there, and uh, every one of them's different. So uh, I do yes, have I do have one follow up question with uh, something that I've always struggled with is. Let's say you have that quiet bird, you know, you know, he's there, he's gobbled, you know, you hear him gobble every couple minutes or so, you know, five minutes or so. Um, how do you know when to, I guess, basically give up on that bird? Like, you know, if, if he's gobbling every five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, um, are you, are you automatically saying, well, that bird's not interested or are you going to say, Hey, let's give him 30 minutes and he might be in our lap here in a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And a lot of times, like you'll catch birds that are that are answering your calls, but they're getting hung up on something. It might mm-hmm. be a creek line. It, it might be a tree. It might be a fence line. I mean, I've seen dirt, dirt. I've seen birds hang up basically on a pothole in the middle of a row. They just can't figure out how to get across it kind of thing. And then I've seen birds fly over railroad tracks to get to us. So just. A lot of times when they're doing that, they're hung up on something and they can't figure out what it is. But for me personally, if I'm guiding and a bird is answering my call, I'm going to stick with him until he either shuts up or we see, you know, physically see him go a different direction or something. So if they're answering me, especially every couple minutes kind of deal, and you can kind of figure out if they're getting closer, I mean, you're, you're going to sit on that bird until like I said, either A, he goes a different direction, B, he shuts up and, you know, he just, you either called him, called at him too much or he got disinterested with you and, you know, went a different direction. So, um, 
Yeah, again, I mean, it's just, and I, me personally, I tend to be pretty aggressive just because the Rios that we hunt are typically pretty vocal and, and most of the times are going to come to calls most of the time. Um, so a lot of times I get pretty aggressive with it and just try to get birds hot and heavy and ready, you know, to basically be in your lap coming to the decoys. And, and two, we're lucky too, if a bird, you know, basically, gives us the middle finger mm-hmm. we're able to leave that bird alone and just go to a different bird and you know mm-hmm. maybe we maybe we get him killed the next day or something like that so yeah. um you know we're lucky enough that we can basically say all right you win you win this hour we'll go somewhere else if we can get another bird to answer and then maybe come back to that bird the next day or something like that gotcha gotcha man i gotta tell a quick story the the first turkey i ever called in i was 16 years old and uh some buddies of mine uh, went out to West Texas. Uh, we drove five hours. We got to his grandma's house at 3 a.m., slept two hours, woke up at 5 a.m., went out there and just set up a pop-up blind. You know, we had no idea what we were doing. Set up a pop-up blind up against the fence, and I had a box call that another buddy of mine had given that they had found it when they were cleaning out their grandpa's garage. And I guess I just got the perfect bird and uh, we had three cheap Walmart decoys out in front of us. And um, we started, you know, working that box call. And uh, Tom came out probably 200 yards away across this field. And uh, I talked to that bird for over two hours. And <laughs> he worked all the way across that field. Took him two I'd, I'd hit the box call and he'd gobble and then take like two steps and just sit there. And, yep. you know, I didn't know anything about waiting or, yeah, you know, I was just 16 years old. I was all excited. We had three of us crammed in this little bitty, uh, you know, pop-up blind. And, uh, and I ended up calling it all the way across the field. To this day, still don't know how. But, like I said, I, I think I just got the perfect bird. He obviously didn't know what a turkey sounded like because I sure didn't sound like a turkey. Um, but he was just that sure. perfect bird that was all fired up, like you said. So, yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, you get the fire, the perfect bird in the fired up situation. I mean, you can clap real hard and, mm-hmm. and get birds to come in. I mean, I, I enjoy getting a bunch of jakes in sometimes, and you can literally say the word gobble mm-hmm. and they'll gobble at you. I mean, it's just, you know, messing around with jakes and just seeing what sound you can make to, to get them to gobble at you. But, uh, yeah, the, the birds that, that do it right it's special i mean mm-hmm. it, that's what keeps turkey hunters turkey hunting mm-hmm. or the birds that do it right and then the uh the days that you put about eight to 15 miles on your boots and you hear about three gobbles you're wondering <laughs> why the heck you're in the woods so mm-hmm. it, it and every every day is different i mean mm-hmm. it, it really is yep yeah i think that bird is what spoiled me and why i haven't been turkey hunting as much because like I tried turkey and after that, I was like, oh, well, this is easy, you know, and uh, definitely uh, never had one that easy again, so. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, enough of my old stories. Uh, all right, I have a, another question. You know, if, if you're guiding, you obviously always have two people. Obviously, you're the caller and you have the shooter. Um, how do you guys position yourself uh, compared to your shooter? Do you like to be really close and next to them? Do you like to have your shooter out in front of you? Um, how does that work? Um, again, it really just depends. It really depends on what cover is available at that given moment. So if we're running and gunning, um, just say we're, I, I make a call. 
turkey gobbles, he's close. I mean, he's with he's within a hundred. Um, with with me, anything inside of a hundred, I'm we're sitting down. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 game time. So at that moment, as a guide, you have to kind of. And I like to what I like to do typically prior to me making a call is kind of just check my surroundings if something gobbles on this call, where are we going kind of deal. So I like to kind of check my, my surrounding and say, there's, there's a good tree there, you know, bush there, whatever it is. So that's probably what we'll do. So prior to that, I've kind of determined if something happens here, we've got a place to fall into. So yeah, bird gobbles is with a hundred. We've got to, we've got to, we're sitting down, we're going to set up on this bird. Um, I'll typically, you know, prior to, I kind of, recognize everything i will put my guy or my client um in the against the biggest tree the most comfortable tree the biggest bush the most cover basically mm-hmm. um because he's the one that's doing the shooting for her um so i'll put my guy down basically say sit here get ready i'll run out there i usually put my decoys about 18 to 20 25 yards just kind of depending on the situation I'll put the decoy in the ground, whatever it may be. Typically, I run with just a hen and a jake decoy. That's just kind of my normal uh, protocol, I guess. I'll run back, and I basically just get wherever the heck I can get. I mean, (laughs) whether it's a mesquite tree that's an inch and a half around in diameter, or if I'm laying in a hole or, you know, whatever. As long as my client is comfortable and in a good shooting position, I'll get wherever I need to get. I mean, typically it's behind them. I like to be behind them or off to one side, whatever side it may be, um, you know, where at least I can kind of communicate with them with whatever is going on. Uh, I run a I kickstand turkey vest, so at least I can kind of put take some pressure off my back and, you know, fall into a bush if I need to kind of deal. But, uh, yeah, I like to be – close to them if I can, uh, where I can kind of communicate. But a lot of times, you know, I always give my clients the the leeway of whenever they're comfortable to pull the trigger, go ahead and, you know, let it rip kind of deal. So they don't have to wait for my permission, I guess, if you will, to, to shoot. So yeah, I just, it's, I put my client on the most comfortable tree and then I fall wherever the heck I can land and, you know, hope that bird comes in pretty quick and, and, uh, we get to squeeze the trigger off. Gotcha. Let's say, uh, let's say you were just with a buddy, you know, it wasn't a guiding situation and it just works out to where you had a shooter and a caller, you know, just kind of the optimal situation. Uh, would you do something different there? Like, would you want the shooter, you know, further out in front of you or would you still want to be kind of closer where you could communicate? Um, I personally just like to be close so you can communicate, you know, if, uh, you know, if say the bird comes in behind you and you're the only one that can see it with turkeys, you can't hardly move because they see so well. So if the shooter is in front of you and you're the caller behind him and the bird comes in, you know, circles back or something like that, you can hey, tell your buddy or your client, hey, just sit still. He's right here. He's coming around or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I like to be within a close enough distance that I can communicate and, you know, everybody's on the same page kind of deal. But, uh, no, I mean, I've dang near sat back to back with guys cause that's the only place that we could, could be. So really, uh, I like to be as close as I, as I can, you know, cover permitting to where we can talk and communicate and kind of let each other know what's going on. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. 
All right, and you kind of covered this, but do you give your clients any like specific instructions? I'm I'm sure it's based on their skill level a little bit, but you try to tell them, you know, wait till it passes this log or tree or whatever, or they kind of based on their skill level just shoot whenever they want to. Uh, it's more or less shoot when whenever they want to, and I kind of need to preface or disclaimer that my turkey hunters, most of them have been hunting with me for five to eight plus years, and so I I know how well they shoot, I know how well they don't shoot, I know kind of what their their range, what their limitations are, um, but you know, kind of back to your previous question. I always tell my guys, pull the trigger whenever you're comfortable. You know, I mean, it's just for me to say shoot now and they're not ready by then, you know, that might kind of throw their shot shot routine off or something like that. So I, you know, if they're comfortable at 40 yards and they're ready to squeeze off, get after it. If they're not ready till that turkey's at the decoy at 20 and, you know, he holds up at 35 and we don't get a shot, you know, so be it. So my, my clients always have the, the, the ability, I shouldn't say the right. Um, but you know, they, they can shoot. I always give them the green light to shoot whenever they're comfortable. Gotcha. Sweet. All right. And then kind of, uh, curtailing on that. Um, obviously if the bird drops, bird drops and that's the optimum. Uh, let's say that bird takes off. Um, do you are you kind of under the impression of we need to sit back and let it do its thing, or are you getting up and kind of chasing after it, trying to get it down? All right, like you've shot it and he's hit. Kind yes. Of deal, yeah. He's... Yeah. You think that bird is hit, but he takes off running. Uh, you know, or first flat. thing we're gonna first thing we're gonna really do is just double, you know, double check for blood or feathers mm-hmm. or you know, just double check to make sure that we've got a confirmed, mm-hmm. you know, hit. Um, at that point, honestly, with turkey hunting, it doesn't happen a whole lot. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with yeah. that. Um, a lot of times if that bird's hit, he's not going very far and we're going to go after him. I mean, it's not like a deer and give him 15 minutes kind of thing mm-hmm. or an hour or whatever, you know, a time, a time frame. It's yeah. all right. You shot pile of feathers. There's blood there. Let's go find this bird. Cause you should be able to get a second shot on him pretty quick kind of deal. So, um, Yes, yeah, we're we're gonna go after them pretty hard, because um, a lot of times they'll just kind of go bury up in some brush and and try to get away from somebody, and you know you you usually recover that bird, gotcha, pretty easy. Okay, I just thought I'd throw it out there. Figured you might have seen a few birds die, so yeah, <laughs> I've seen one or two, one uh, or two hit the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, this next is kind of a fun question, um, and again, I said it last time, I would encourage anybody to go to y'all's Instagram. I love y'all's Instagram, um, and I know you take a lot of those photos. Um, any pro tips for the trophy shot, you know, setting the bird up, lighting, all that good stuff? Sure, yeah. Um, shouldn't say pro tips because I'm not a pro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean – there's a million and one different ways how to to pose a turkey. Um, there is no such thing as a bad picture with a mature tom turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, the iridescence they have on their on their feathers and the different colors they have and their wing feathers and their tail fan and their, even their head is as ugly as their head is. It's pretty. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's. Um, there's no so I to me I don't think you can take a bad picture you know you're taking micro micro photos or macro photos with just 
wing feathers or, or their breast feathers or their head. Um, I just don't think you can take a bad photo. Um, I, I personally like turkeys that are backlit with the light coming through their fan. I just think that looks cool. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I like to be creative and just, if you got an old fence post or an old tree or, you know, an old building or something like that, and just, just being creative with how you, I guess, pose that bird. I mean, I, I don't, I like to say the word pose, but I mean, that is what it is. But, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. Just, just be creative with it. And like I said, they're just, they're such a pretty bird that, I mean, there's just lots of different ways and just get creative with, with up close or far away. Or, you know, if, if you've got a, if you've got somebody that's willing to, to take some time and take some good photos, just, just be creative with it and, and, and use that, their, their colorful, colorfulness and, you know, all the, uh, variations and, and colors and everything they got going on with them to your advantage through your photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the only two cents I have to add is definitely take your time. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the deer and turkeys and even fish and stuff that I, uh, you know, caught and killed when I was younger, I have very few and no good pictures. And usually it was because I was so excited, you know, I just wanted to show it off or, or get back and show people. Um, that's something I've really learned these last couple of years is just slowing down, you know, first just enjoy the moment, you know, enjoy the success and then really take some time to make those photos good because, you know, that's what you're going to have to hold on to. You know, obviously you have the, the fan and the beard and that stuff, but you know, <laughs> the biggest beard I ever had, uh, my sister's dog chewed up, chewed it up. And so, you know, I don't have that memory anymore, but I still have a photo of that bird. And so really slow down and take your time. So. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, no, that's, that's spot on. I mean, that if you have somebody or you're willing to, to take some time and, and, and just, tried to be candid with it and that's what i always tell my guys i'm like just just pretend i'm not here because mm-hmm. a lot of times i'm taking a photo of something they don't even realize how how or what i'm taking that mm-hmm. photo of um try to be candid try to be in the moment you know take your time and, and honestly just smash the shutter i mean that that's mm-hmm. the best way a lot of times you know i may take a couple hundred photos and and get it down to 10 when i edit or something like that mm-hmm. but when you have a lot of photos to go through. You can kind of call out the bad ones or ones that aren't in focus. But if you take your time and, and, and take a lot of photos and, and just get creative with it, you'll have some really cool stuff. And like I said, those turkeys are such a, a cool, colorful bird. It's, it's just hard not to, uh, to take a, take a good photo. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right. I got one last question for you. Um, you guys, you mentioned that you guys offer both, Rio and Eastern hunts. Um, is there a real big difference in the two or do you hunt them pretty much the same? Um, yeah, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Big, 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 big difference. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, Eastern birds to, to their prototypicalness, they, uh, they're not super vocal, typically you know they live in country or at least for us the ranch that we hunt them on in southeast oklahoma it's pretty rough you know it's up and down it's thick hardwoods it's um you know the terrain doesn't lend itself necessarily to quote-unquote easy hunting um man easterns at least for us on, on on the ranch that we hunt it's a battle it's um you get an eastern bird killed over there I've said to a lot of my guys, I said, I'll get you on a 150 inch deer before we kill this Eastern bird. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you really got to put some time in to kill those bears because they're not super vocal. Um, we, we just, a lot of times we end up deer hunting them. We, mm-hmm. we just kind of know or hopefully know where they're going to be at, call about every 20, 30, 40 minutes and, you know, say a prayer and hope they come in kind of deal. Cause a lot, I've killed a lot of Easterns that quite literally never gobbled ever. You know, they just mm-hmm. show up and they're at your decoy kind of deal. So, mm-hmm. um, you got to be really patient with those birds. Um, you've got to have the ability to, like I said, you know, put a full day in and be patient in a blind or underneath a tree or, you know, have a good set of boots and have the ability to, to put a lot of miles on. Because a, a bird might gobble midday, but he might be across the 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 hill, you know, mm-hmm. and you might have to go three miles uphill and around and circle back around just to get to him kind of deal. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, they can be tough. They really can, you know, versus Rios where most of the times Rios are pretty vocal all day. Most of the times if a, if a Rio responds back to your call, you're probably going to see him in some form or fashion. You may not get a shot on him, but you're probably going to see him. And that lends to the country that you're in because it's, it's more open. It's more visible. Um, you know, you may see that bird at 200 yards, but at least you know what he did. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, like in, in those Easterns, you're hunting in a lot of thick hardwoods where you may never see that bird. He may gobble at you a hundred times, but you may never see him because you can't see more than about 30 yards in front of you kind of deal. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, for to answer your question, I guess in a long-winded answer, for us, be patient, you know, kind of settle in and just kind of let those birds do their thing for Easterns. And But for Rios, we're going to go after them. I mean, it's... We're, we're pretty aggressive and we, we like to, like to chase them around the ranch. So it's a, it's a definitely a 180 as far as tactics and how you do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I say I've killed a few turkeys, but I'm not a good turkey hunting, that's, that's why, you know, we have Easterns. So I'm in Southeast Oklahoma. And, uh, yeah, like you said, a lot of times I'm deer hunting them. I'm watching them, you know, where they come out and I'm just kind of setting up in that general area and basically kind of hoping one walks by me. And so, you know, and that's probably, I haven't built up a lot of confidence in my calling for that same reason. You know, it just seems like they, they'll answer, but they don't come in or it seems like once they get out in the open, they don't want to come back towards cover. And you right. know, I obviously can't just sit out there in the wide open field and, uh, without being seen or get them catching movement. And so, yeah, I, I definitely feel the struggle on the Easterns and, that's why I enjoy going out with my buddies to out west or South Texas or whatever and hunting Rios. So, um, yeah, sir. Yeah, it, uh, it definitely brings your confidence back up to come hunt a Rio because <laughs> uh, I've slammed my head up against a few trees trying to chase try trying to chase eastern birds. They just they're frustrating. It's it's a tough hunt. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is. Uh, well, Clay, we got just a minute here. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I hate to put you on the spot. What about a quick story? You got a good uh, a good turkey story to close this thing out with? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, let me think. I got a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think what comes to mind just right off the top of my head, um, probably because it's the most recent bird I, I've I've shot or I shot I was with. Um, last year, I guess to start the story, like last year we actually shut down due to COVID just because mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going on. We, we just played safe and sorry. And, um, I typically call in about, I don't know, it, it just kind of ranges anywhere from probably eight to 12, 15, you know, somewhere between eight and 12, 15 birds per year for clients. And, 
last year I called in a, a I called in one bird and it's probably the most special bird I've ever called in. Um, I notch one of my slate calls um, for every bird that I've I've called in for guys and the this notch is notch number forty four and so my five year old son. Mm. Uh, which is my oldest, I kind of determined that was what I was going to do during spring turkey season last year was get him rigged up, get him comfortable behind a 410 and, uh, you know, get him his first bird. So we, uh, last year was just weird all around, you know, for, for everything. And my son was a trooper. We went out four times. We sat in a pop-up tent, you know, we didn't chase them or anything. Um, we sat the first three times with with no luck heard some gobbles saw some hens just never never had anything come in for whatever reason um but man he was patient he was all about it we sat about oh anywhere from about two to four hours you know for the first three sets and brought a lot of snacks and you know mm-hmm. we were playing around with with on x and i was telling him where birds were coming from and he was all about it and we were just having a good time and we went out the fourth time, which was an, an afternoon hunt. We went to a new spot. Um, I actually brought along, so I had my five-year-old son and then my two-year-old son with us as well. And then me and then the gun and everything else in the <laughs> pop-up tent. So uh, we get settled in. It's mid-afternoon. I'll call it two, three o'clock, something like that. Get the gun get the gun set it, sitting in, in the tripod get both boys set up, um, put the decoys out there. You know, we, we're going in somewhat blind, just going to a, a good spot that I've got. And uh, I get sat down, get my camera stuff ready. And, I mean, I make one little just slight call on my slate call, and Bird cuts me off. And he's close, close, close. And so I'm like, well, it's going to happen. And uh, call again, and he cut me off. Call again, cut me off. I mean, as I'm saying this, this bird tops the hill and he is, he's coming in hot and heavy. And at that moment, I have never had more of a case of buck fever (laughs) in my life than that moment. And I was very excited that it was just, it it was a little, it was a Jake. He came in by himself, no other bird. And I mean, he came to that decoy and he was attacking it. And so I, I got my son all settled down and I was trying to take some photos and shaking like a leaf. And so my son shot once, shot right over the top of his head. But that bird, you know, he was that perfect bird. He was that perfect mm-hmm. bird. He was in oblivion and he didn't even know he got shot at. So it was a little single shot 410 that I had. Put another put another round in, got him loaded. I said, all right, now you know, put that bead and we'd practice a lot and we'd shot some paper and shot some targets, some little clay pigeons at my house. So I was pretty confident. I was going to let him do it himself. And he, uh, put it on the bird, squeezed off. Well, he hit it kind of in the wing toward the lower section and he kind of sucked it up and he kind of drifted off to the decoy a little bit. And so I, at that point I was having to hurry cause I wanted my son to, to do it himself. And mm-hmm. so I put another round in and he squeezed off that third round and, and put him down. And so it was, uh, it was cool. I mean, he ran out of the tent, he was hooping and hollering and pumped up. And my two year old was even more excited for him. And so we, uh, it was really neat. It was cool to watch my five year old just do his thing and, and shoot a bird and be able to notch my call. And, um, yeah, it was the, literally the only bird I called in last year to, that we actually killed. I called some birds in just to take some photos, but 
it was a it was a memory and now he's all he's he knows it's turkey season so he's ready to go out and get a second bird so uh it was it was a cool it was a cool proud dad moment for sure definitely definitely that's an awesome story especially to come out of you know the not so fun covid times so i'm glad you got to share that together yeah yeah so it's uh it was a special moment between him and i and you know uh it's uh i'm excited i'm gonna take him out youth hopefully youth season if not youth sometime during the season this year and and get him on a second hopefully get him on a second bird he's he's pumped up about it he's been talking about his 410 for about 12 months now so (laughs) (laughs) awesome awesome uh well clay i've really appreciated this real quick before we close it out why don't you uh let everybody know how they can get a hold of you guys um and I, I meant to ask you this before we aired, so I hope I don't uh, screw this up. But do y'all happen to have any more openings this year? Or y'all booked up? No, sir. Yeah, we don't have any booking uh, availability this year. Okay. Um, I, I typically book out about oh anywhere between nine months and a year. Um, mm-hmm. We actually rolled all of my guys from twenty twenty to twenty twenty one this gotcha. year, so it, it basically took all all my slots. But mm-hmm. I've got a really good repeat client ba- clientele base and. Um, I usually only have about three to five slots available every year and they're usually full by about June, 1st of July, something like that. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're very fortunate in that, in that situation to, to be booked up. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, to to get a hold of us. Yeah. Just, it's, uh, stuartranchoutfitters.com. It's S T U A R T ranchoutfitters.com. Uh, we're on Instagram. It's SR Outfitters, Facebook, Street Ranch Outfitters. Got I got a YouTube channel up. Um, yeah, check us out. Send us a message. Shoot us a text. Call us. Email us. I mean, I tell I jokingly tell a lot of guys. Send us a smoke signal. We'll get back with you <laughs> and answer any question that you have or uh, and any information that you need. We're we're happy to help. Perfect. All right, man. Thanks again, and uh, I don't know if I said this on the air or not yet, but you're our first uh, repeat guest, and so congratulations. You'll uh, be getting a trophy in the mail. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me back on and uh, talk turkeys. Uh, it's a it's a, a pleasure to, to talk to you about it. Yep. All righty, Clay. Thanks again for coming on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And that will wrap up another interview. Man, I want to thank Clay again for coming on. That was so awesome. He's just a wealth of knowledge on all these hunting topics. Once again, guys, I would really encourage you guys to go check out their Instagram. I believe it's SR Outfitters. Uh, they do a great job of giving informative information. Clay is a excellent photographer. They do really good with all of their pictures, and it's just a great page to follow. So... Yeah, look them up, check them out, uh, go to their website, and book a hunt, and you better be early. You know, when somebody books out that far in advance, you know that they know what they're doing. And so I would really encourage you guys to check out their website and call them up and book a hunt. And with that, I think that's just about going to do it for this episode. I am really excited for my Texoma trip this weekend. My buddy and I are going to go. We're going to tear it up. It'll be my first, like real trip taking the boat out uh you know i've taken it out a couple times but they've been kind of test runs and real windy and stuff but this is my first like hardcore fishing trip and so my goal is to catch a fish like if if we catch one i don't care what it is i'll consider this trip a success and i want to keep learning i want to keep having these guests on 
I want to keep learning. That's you know, a selfish thing of mine, but I want you guys to learn with me, and I want to be able to kind of teach you guys as I go. And so that's my hope for all this. So I'm definitely going to keep you guys posted. Y'all can keep me accountable whether I catch a fish or not. Uh, check me out on Instagram and Facebook, and that is going to do it for this week. So thank you guys for listening. Come back next week. If you're new to the podcast, go back and listen to all my previous episodes as it continues to grow. I'm excited for the growth. And, uh, yeah, I just I love you guys. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week.